podcast where we talk about things with one super special guest every week. Just sit back, relax, and hear us speak on This Is Happening, the podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to This Is Happening. This is Nathan Streifel. And Eric Morris. And today we have an extra special, wonderful guest on our podcast, Jess Arndt. She is a fantastic writer, sexy human being, all-around fantastic person. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, welcome, Jess. And she recently came out with uh, a book, a collection of short stories called Large Animals, um, which... We have read. Yes. So this is kind Did of... Did our day. homework. Yeah. It's, it's a day. Thanks, guys. It's the first time for us having an author on the program, something that we hope to do, uh, you know, a More lot in the, in the future. future. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, if you're a first author. It gave us yeah. some real homework to do. I had to spend more time preparing for this than... You know, because totally. Sometimes know. we just we know the people and can watch their YouTube clips or whatever, see their reel. So, yeah, we went and we deep dived into you, Jess. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I feel like I've been marinating in large animals. That's the thing about books for, is they kind of make you read them <laughs> for better or worse. Part of today, and I really felt like I got inside <laughs> your head and how you see the world. Um, I think you're an extremely distinctive writer, um, and I think your perspectives on a lot of things are, you know, unique and things that I hadn't read before, and um, I like the specificity and the description, and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting place to be inside Jess Arndt's head, mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad it feels like that to the outside world because sometimes it doesn't feel like that in my head. But <laughs> is this this is your very first book? This right? is my first first book. published book. Yeah. Um, but you you you're a writer and you've written lots of stuff in the past, or I'm assuming. Yeah. 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 I've been writing. I guess I would say my whole life. Um, mm-hmm. And publishing stories and articles and essays and in between and poems for a really long time and also um with three other friends have been running a very small press called new harem press that oh was, cool that we, yeah, yeah i didn't know that totally that's, that's um, this is this did you did you no. do the, oh, no. No. No, oh, you no, wouldn't no. publish your own book you said I mean, no is that like said, a naughty no, I, a naughty I, thing I to do, do if you don't publish your own books is we are just like a little bit less of a functional press than that um totally right now. you wanted people with more resources <laughs> yeah i wanted people with more resources. <laughs> this is put out by catapult exactly we should, yeah. we should give them credit for it um, who are great today's sponsor catapult <laughs> thank you so much it checks in the mail <laughs> and you can get this on Amazon and Skylight Books is a great place to get it in Los Angeles. Oh, cool! Los brick and mortar store. Yeah, brick and mortar. Oh, yeah. It's a, totally. Is it at uh, Book Soup? You know, it is a Book Soup. Somebody just told me the other day that they saw it at Book Soup. Actually, so, what's uh, what's Book Soup? Oh, it's a great bookstore on Sunset, um, West Hollywood. In West Hollywood, yeah. I have to check it out. I'll have uh, a little. I have a friend that works there, there who I think would love this book. Oh, in fact, cool! I'm going to have to tell him. Oh, about that would it. be great. Yeah, I would love. To appreciate that. Yeah. And they do a lot of great readings there and have a really good reading series. Oh, cool. Um, they have do. You, they have a lot have of you done any public readings of this? I have. Um, when it came out last spring, I did a, a release um, at Skylight Books with Maggie Nelson, um, who blurbed the book and is herself. Blurbed? What do you mean blurbed the book? Is that she, If you turn okay. to the back, you can see this little paragraph oh, that yeah, she yeah. wrote about it. Maggie Nelson um, most recently came out with... The Argonauts, um, gotcha. which is like a poetic treatise on kind of queer embodiment and relationships and... Ooh, that sounds good. Critical theory and how to be in the world and parenting, but much more than that. Um, right. And so she's been a kind of real guiding hand, um, which I guess we'll probably get into in a way, like how the book came to be. Yeah, for um, sure. The gestation of It's the hard book. to get a book out there. <laughs> Um, I will say one thing about blurbing because when you when you said that it just made yeah. me think of it. Um, I out of college um, worked at a literary agency. Um, really, for a little while. What college? You've done everything. Um, <laughs> I've had a lot of different jobs. Um, this was at After Penn. Okay. Um, and but I had moved to Boston for uh-huh. a year, and I was working at this place called Palmer and Dodge, which was a law firm slash literary agency. 
Um, so when the authors get in trouble, they can swoop yeah. in. I mean, it was, it was started by like an entertainment lawyer who uh-huh. was focused on the, the publishing in, industry, and then he brought on agents to work with them as a little division cool. of it. And um, you know, so I was writing, you know, essentially coverage or whatever of manuscripts that were coming in and you wow. know recommending so whether you've or gotten not your hands dirty so you stuff. were like yeah. a you were a blurber secretly well no but so whether or not like they should take them on as a client or whatever so it was, I was yeah. like the first step um, in the process yeah like the first line of defense whatever you want to call it and and if you know if I like something and pass it along if it didn't get past you it was not going to go anywhere no and so one of these things that didn't get past me um you know, I think it was called like Blue Perfume. It was like it was like a collection of sh- short stories. I can't remember uh-huh. the woman's name, but she ended up self-publishing. Right. And I, you know, they, I guess, like as a gesture, they passed along my little report to her, and she, and it was, a, and it was, it was largely negative. Uh-huh. You know, it was like, no, I don't <laughs> think you should take this on. But she. She blurbed it? it and put it on the back of her book <laughs> and put Eric Morris literary critic. Wow, <laughs> that's amazing. So that was like a twenty-two-year-old, you know, not a literary critic, but you know, I. But they gave me a copy of it. They're like, "Oh, we just got this in the mail. <laughs> you were blurred." And then the you back. should take that and put that on your CV as like <laughs> literary critic. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, <laughs> Hell, I mean, why not? Putting it yeah. out there now to to podcast. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> Anybody looking for a blurber? Um, <laughs> but that just from? made me think of that. Where did you grow up? I grew up in um, outside of Seattle, Washington, suburban yes. Washington. Yes, yeah, yes, we yes. have this is mentioned in one of your stories. And I am from Washington yeah, State too. We got two Washington kids in the house. That's awesome. Um, Are you also a Seahawks fan? I mean, not really. <laughs> Whatever. I mean, I was I was of the age when Brian Bosworth was in the Seahawks, and so oh, I remember. In elementary school, it was like really cool to have the lines cut, cut into your fade, mm, and then like totally. kind of like mowed oh, so in the you, back you and like the colors yeah, in and okay. stuff like that. <laughs> I was really a Ken Griffey Jr. Mariner. Oh fan. God, Ken Griffey, yeah. the Kingdom. I mean, did you, he, did you go to the Kingdom a lot? Yes, yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I was lucky enough to have a broken arm in fourth grade, and he came to my elementary school and signed my cast. Oh my god, oh, that's wow. so cool! I still have that dirty rag somewhere. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, did you play sports growing up at all? Tons of sports. What'd you do? Um, soccer, softball, which I desperately wanted to be baseball. Um, I was a hardcore yeah. skier. Super why do they? Skiing. Why is what's the difference between softball and baseball? Just the ball. It's the size of the ball and the speed of the pitch, basically. Yeah. Oh, because they do the circular underhand. In schools, usually, you know, girls um, all played softball. Yeah. There wasn't, like, a girls' baseball team anywhere. Right, right, right. It's probably changing now, but I was was very similar to the way I am now um, in elementary school, which meant that I had very short hair. If before that I had braids, I tucked them in the back of my shirt and put a baseball hat on and said my name is Tom. So you oh, know, nice, like, got that mask back yeah, on. Totally. I like that. <laughs> was, I didn't know about like long-haired butch. You know, I was like, oh, just. But I, I think even when I was growing up, and I'm a little bit older than you, um, I think like little leagues were were co-ed. You know, but yeah. That, I guess that and that was baseball. I think wasn't little ours was. I think it's probably regional. Ours wasn't. Yeah. Where did you grow up? In New York. In New York, yeah. Yeah. So it was like I'm thinking of like the suburbs of New York City. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. And you grew Um, up in the suburbs. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. And then, so where where did you um, where did you go to college? I went to college on the East Coast. I went to Wesleyan in Connecticut, um, which is like a pretty small liberal arts. Totally. totally. Oh, I know Wesleyan. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. That's great. And I is that a seven sort of studied school? like rugby there is pretty much what I did. Oh, no, Wellesley <laughs> is a seven sister yeah, school. Yeah, Wellesley. Wellesley's a little bigger than that, but it's yeah. in Connecticut. Um, gotcha. I played a lot of rugby. I um, double majored in English and Women's Studies, which is now Feminist and Gender Studies. Oh, they changed the name. Yeah, they changed the name. That's cool. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, then you went. And you to got Bard. a master's. I went to Bard. I went to the um, Milton Avery Graduate School of the Arts at Bard College, which is a low residency MFA program. Bard is a beautiful campus. It is, except it's overrun with Lyme disease right now. And oh, is it? It's terrifying what? because when you go to graduate school in the summer, you're basically supposed to. 
work all day in your studio and then stay up drinking all night and like rolling around in the grass and people are dropping like so is it ticks? Lime ticks, is yeah. It? That's scary. I scouted yeah. it as a film location. Oh, it's. So. I mean, it's really. It's got yeah. an intense vibe. It's really. Where's Bard? It's in the Hudson River it's Valley. For all of our viewers, yes, who don't Bard know College where it is, is in upstate New York, <laughs> in the Hudson River Valley, the famed of the really famed Hudson River um, painting school. Yeah. Oh. Okay. And it has a real. It's like one of those meridians. It's like it has. It's famed for having sort of important meridians that run under it, and mm, it has mm. an intense energy to it. And sometimes it's like a, a kind of heavy, troubled energy, and it's also a very creative energy. And I, oh, I felt it cool. when I was there. I loved being there. I had a, not that um, at the time I was living in San Francisco, and that pulled me back east again. And I moved to New York for nine years after. Wow. So you were getting your MFA. I was getting my MFA in writing. In fiction, loosely, but their um, writing program is um, pretty. Open. Um, so you kind of like work on what you want to work on. Exactly. At the time, I was writing a novel, novella set in the 1850s in San Francisco. Oh well, that kind of made it into the book. A little, a little bit, bit it did. Yeah. yeah, very cool. And it was was part of your program teaching? No, not at all. It gave no resources towards like future career development or um, <laughs> <laughs> in either like the teaching sector or how to get published. It was. Super hands-on, and the way that, just for a tiny plug for Bard, the way it works is that the, you go in a discipline like writing or video or film or mm-hmm. music, um, music sound, uh, painting, sculpture, but um, you don't have class, and you have a studio, and you meet one-on-one with the faculty from the entire school as many times as you can over the summer. So you might have up to like four or five meetings a day with different faculty, but not just with the writing faculty. So I'd be meeting with like the sculpture faculty or the music faculty, anybody who I felt like I had some kind of connection with and it would help the work. Wow. And so you're just kind of like charged up and your gears are spinning. And So is it only summer? It's only summer. It's three summers and you work during the year. To kind of create new bodies of work, and then they what get torn do? apart and massaged, and yeah, during those years, seams. what did you do? The no- like novella. I was living in San Francisco bartending, and oh, okay. oh during the during in the bad relationships mania, yeah. and trying to <laughs> figure out how to be, I guess. Yeah, yeah well, that's where yeah. one's twenties. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was. Was my that 20s. your twenties? It yeah. was. I have to carry that over the bad relationships well into my forties. Oh, you know, but. you can keep doing it and doing it. <laughs> Cheers! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> um, but uh, okay, so then where'd you go from there? So then I was living in New York, um, kind of pulled by that community of artists. Um, in the East Village, were you living? I was living in Brooklyn. I was in Bushwick okay. for about six years, and then in Greenpoint, which is north. north yeah, just just off Manhattan, right? And I was still bartending and kind of writing um, but the writing was starting to change I had put down that novella I finished it um, then sort of decided it was never going to make its way into the world and started writing short stories and also just kind of like more like mashup pieces that were like sort of poetic essays Gotcha. and at the same time I started teaching because I did have that MFA even though it was a really untraditional MFA I started teaching at Rutgers University in New Jersey, teaching fiction and poetry and playwriting. To oh, that's a commute. It was a total Brooklyn commute. Brooklyn to yeah. Rutgers. How long does that take? <laughs> An hour? It's two hours each way on public transportation. Whoa, yeah. yeah. And involves going into the kind of armpit of Penn Station and then the New Jersey Yeah, Transit I mean, you'd be better off living in um, Hell's Kitchen. Well, yeah. lots of writing and reading time, I suppose. That's, you Did know, you ride on the train? I, that's where I graded those student oh, papers. right. For sure. <laughs> Yeah. Do you have a writing regimen? Or have you well, developed some sort of writing process? Currently, I don't have a writing practice at all because I'm mm-hmm. an, um, a new parent, as you know. Oh my gosh, I have an 11-month-old baby. Um, and right. he was born just about a month before this book came out, so it all kind of Coalesced. happened at the same time. Um, and it's been like a really wild ride of a year. Oh, I bet. Trying to do as much as I can to help this book live and also mm-hmm. as much as I can to help the baby live. Yes, Are you also <laughs> Are you a single parent? No. Okay. I am in a um, married relationship with my wife. Uh, we got married um, right before, two days before Trump took office. Oh. Um, 
Well, not, good to go into that in, yeah. in a relationship, definitely. And actually, my adoption papers just yeah, came today, and I'm oh gosh, now I'm, I'm an adopted parent of our kid. Congratulations. Oh. Today? Today. Oh, my yeah. gosh. That's so cool. So and the, it's like a weird little certificate that says, family me- welcome to family membership or something. Like, now I'm a member of the family, and I wasn't before. So weird. <laughs> well, there are yeah. those legal hurdles. So your yeah. wife had the baby. My wife had the baby. And did your brother give the sperm? Um... At Sorry, the time I wrote this, no, no. Yeah. At the time I wrote the story um, or the collection, um, we tried with my brother and really uh-huh. hoped it would be my brother. And in the end, it didn't turn out to be my brother. Gotcha. Um, but he was like the most lovely, hilarious, um, light giving human through the process. And, oh, that's so um, sweet. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so now, so um, when Osa came out, uh, Osa strangely had like really blue eyes, um, sort of the color of mine. And my brother said, you know, I think there was just a sleeper in there. I think like, you know, that's great. No, that's but awesome. we also have a really special relationship with a friend of ours who did help us and, and get pregnant and he lives in Paris and Oh, cool! A Parisian. He's gay. He's actually from um, oh, he's Lima. Set. He's from Lima. Oh, this is sad. Yeah, yeah. Le- from Lima, lives in Paris. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oof! I wish I had those jeans. <laughs> <laughs> or I was in those jeans. Yeah. I don't know. Let me see Yeah, please, please. <laughs> How long have you and your wife been together? We've been together. It's funny because I always call her my girlfriend because I, I always think wife isn't like quite as sexy or it sounds. Yeah, it's a little stodgy. It's, it's like there's like, a lot to a lot of baggage to drag mm-hmm. around with it. So the other yesterday, I was talking to someone I didn't know very well. And I said my girlfriend and my friend was sitting next to me who I'd known since Wesleyan, and she said, "Jess, she's your wife. Like, why are you saying girlfriend?" And I was like, "I don't know. Girlfriend's just sexier, maybe." It's more romantic. More romantic, yeah. yeah. But um, we have been together for I think it's four years now. Okay. But we were um, like very close friends with. Deep, long-standing, abiding, and slightly dangerous crushes on each other for a very long time in New York before that. <laughs> that oh, was like wow. such yeah. a writerly <laughs> sentence. What I don't a think happy ending. Because usually those yeah. things don't turn into something. Well, it took us a long that. time because we were both in um, hard relationships and watching each other go through hard relationships. And then one of us would pop out and the other one would be like diving back into the yeah. relationship. And so, Seesaw. Yeah. It took her moving to L.A. and getting a job. She teaches at UC Irvine um, in the art department. Oh wow! Um, but she's a uh, she's studied um, rhetoric, got her PhD in rhetoric at Berkeley, and um, wow, I'm kind of proud of her. So I'm just you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> but yeah, let's get her on the pod. Yeah, totally <laughs> you should. You yeah, should. should. Well, absolutely. Um, um, how long did you guys try for the baby? Was it like a? It was about um, a year. It was about a year and a month before she was pregnant. So, okay, so that was kind of a little bit of a two-year process. Then, yeah, for sure. So we kind of got together. I moved to L.A. Um, we moved in together, and then we immediately started trying within a couple months of moving in together. Totally. So um, it's been, like, pretty, like, she's an Aries, so it's kind of, like, full-on, you know? Like, why didn't we do this yesterday? We're late yeah, already. Like, yeah, hurry yeah, up. Yeah, And I'm yeah, Leo, totally. so I'm kind of like, fire, okay, fire, like, fire. I can deal with the fire. I'm fire, too, but a little, a little slower. Yeah. Um, well, I do want to talk about large animals, um, and you know, kind of one of the ways into that. Uh, I mean, I, I did like right from the beginning. It, it it's very interesting about gender and about your narrators often don't have names. Um, there's almost no physical description of what they look like. No ethnicity, yeah. no race, which is all very interesting. I mean, just you don't give a reader a lot of signposts. There's not a lot to to latch on to as to like. I mean, sometimes That's there's a there's funny. a physical location. Like sometimes yeah, totally. it's the it's New York, it's San Francisco, it's Vegas. Other times it's I don't know where I don't know what Valapai is. Um, That's funny you say that because because I know Jess, I automatically just. Put, put you me. in yeah. every story, <laughs> whether and you're I writing had, about yourself or not. I had never um, met. Je- in fact, I didn't even see a picture of Jess until I finished reading the book, and then I looked. You know, there's like this New York Magazine interview. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, that's so interesting that you say that. I kind of I supplanted you mm-hmm. into all the stories, but there was points when I was like, okay, well, 
how much of this is fiction, how much of this is, you know, autobiographical. It was interesting. And, and I like that it's not overtly, it doesn't feel like one or the other. And also, can I just say, I've never really read, um, like, a friend's book. <laughs> and it, you were, like, a great writer. I was so impressed. I was just, like, so proud reading it. And also, like... I was like, wow, holy crap, Jess knows how to write. It was so cool. It's so great when you have a friend and then you like you you learn their work and you realize how talented they are. So I just wanted to share that. Thank yeah. you. No, I well I agree. I mean I didn't know Jess before this, but um but I yeah, I agree. I think you're a very, very talented, very distinctive writer. And um and like I said like earlier, uh it, it, I did, it did it was an experience of getting inside your head and how you see gender a little mm-hmm. bit which I think is really interesting and it was a little foreign to me yeah. I mean it, it, it um, you know because you know how we talk about the the LGBT community mm-hmm. and people talk about transgender and um, I think for me that was a concept that took me a while to understand. And also, I felt like I, I don't really relate to that completely mm-hmm. as a gay person. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I don't, I don't have a gender issue. You know, I, like, I it never was something I thought, like, was I born in the wrong body? Right. You know, yeah, like, same. I never really had some sort of consideration for that. I mean, obviously, sex, sexually, I was confused for a while. But, I mean... But I don't know. There, is, I part of me is very feminine. I don't know. But Who as knows? a as a uh, as a community, I think we we certainly you know have faced and still face totally. a lot of the same discrimination. <laughs> and for me, it's just been an education, learning more about it. Whether it's you know getting to know people who are transgender or something. And and I'm not saying that you are transgender because I really don't know how you define yourself. And I think you you <laughs> labels. It, clearly, yeah, and you know, there's uh, there's some of these stories. It's unclear at all what the gender is. You don't really define it. And then there's like a clearly at least one is a man. Yeah, um, yeah. The guy that likes to um, jerk off while on the highway. And I thought to myself, <laughs> do people really do that? <laughs> when as I'm driving, oh, you thought that the, was clearly a man. Oh, is that not a man? I don't know. I didn't get that. Oh, really? So then I missed it. No, but it's not about missing. I think that that's such a great, like, that's my favorite moment. Like, what just happened right now is, like, the reading can be different based on the reader. I kind of thought that guy. I I thought, like, that little detail of the guy jerking off what I thought was, uh, you know, a a penis. We can um, say it on the pod. (laughs) (laughs) We've said said much worse. Well, you talk about gender, I guess, maybe for a second. Yeah, no, I just, I thought there was a little detail saying like, oh, okay, well, this story is telling me that this narrator is is a man because you have others where... But isn't there a reference in that story to the lack of the of any sort of um, mound or genitalia down there? Oh, so that oh, is okay. kind of like the... Somewhat of a bit of the idea of this... That oh, because he's grabbing for something. There's this place as sort of an imagined... Like you're sort of jerking off with an imagined dick. Oh, and right. you care about it, but you don't... You're not. It's a, there's sort of a line where you're not dumb enough to care about it too much. Like Which you made one it. Is that which story is that? That's in the. Um, we could look at it. It's in um, Third Arm. Well, that's. I was. Yeah. Gonna, I was going to ask you. Was it Third is Arm? It, is it Third Arm? arm? <laughs> yeah. Of course it is. It's Third yeah, Arm. Yeah. And that's where I was confused. I was confused by the the imagery of the Third Arm. I did totally. think about a dick when you when you mentioned Third Arm. That's great. Um, so yeah. yeah. So I well because it it really is very impressionistic it's very like you know from moment to moment it's very disjointed um and it 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 leaves the reader off balance but in a really interesting way i i liked it a lot i'm I'm glad to hear you say that and i really don't mean it to be um ever written with in a way that you have to get one detail to like unpack the whole thing or that it's winking at somebody or that there's an inside and an outside audience Oh, no, it's not coy. Yeah, because, like, I think something about the book, like, thinking about, like, what you guys were explaining about your idea about the podcast, about, like, what's happening now, or how did something come into being, or shape, or form, Mm -hmm. the gender question is 
continued to persist like through past the writing of the story into like the publicity of the collection into like the way it's marketed into um it being a book that like people were kind of at first like not that comfortable taking on and then kind of needed me to do some convincing to say like no like yeah this seems fragmented and yeah like this doesn't fit neatly into a certain kind of even trans fiction that we know oh right there's not a box for it and for the market that can be scary because the market often wants to replicate what it's already had a success how we, with how do we hashtag yeah. this yeah so where does it go <laughs> um, well it's it's very bold because it's just it's not it, like I said it's just it's it doesn't give you a lot of signposts it's challenging it ex, you know it, it requires kind of like you know, attention. Um, it's it's not you know it's not conventional in any way. Um, you know, it's Thank it's you. very it's very expression yeah. impressionistic. There was a really cool spot. I can't remember what the exact phrasing was of the book um, where it dealt with gender. Where it said the narrator or Jess or the narrator, whoever is the um, mm-hmm. narrator in one of the stories, is like. I've always been feminine enough to not be intimidating. I don't know if intimidating is the word that's used, but also masculine enough to not be intimidating as well. Do you do you know what I'm? Do you know well, what part I I'm wonder, talking about? I don't about? know exactly, but I wonder if it was in the second to last story where they're it? talking about um, like a freshly. A freshly made chest, which to me, in my mind, was um, like I think you're at a strip sculpted. club. Maybe. Oh, totally. And That's you're the, hitting the, um, up. Um, can you live with it? And you're hitting up the bar or the narrator. I don't know. Should you could say you could say you're hitting up the. All uh, of the, the fiction bartender. floats off of me, and some of it. And I think that, like, for my experience of writing, which is like only the only way I know how to write at, at this point, right, involves some kind of like taking of like kind of sticky self-truths or searching for some kind of sense of self and putting that Mm -hmm. in a slightly fictive world. And sometimes the world is much more fictive, different than my world, and sometimes it's much closer to my world, but there's always some play of, like, fact as close as one could get to a fact about self and then, like, fuzzing the details, making stuff up. Yeah, Bridges to get to something else that you might want to get to. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of these characters are bartenders. Yeah, there's like, um, you know, te- they're adjunct <laughs> professors like driving to not New Jersey, but they're driving to Long Island, you know, right, it's like they're right, on a freeway. Right. So it's going to going to, you know, meetings with Dean. Yeah, there's not like, there's not a huge. And that's and the funny thing is that the book that I wrote before this was kind of the inverse where I was crafting a big story, like with a lot of action and a lot of dialogue and mm, a character mm-hmm. that wasn't me. And was in third person, and I was trying to figure out how to still fold myself into it. And, right, um, right. And I, I really admire people who can do that. You know, someone even like George R. R. Martin or something like that, who just like these sort of fictions and stories and stories and characters and pile off of him. Yeah, you know, and it's so yeah, convincing. Yeah, yeah. And it takes them only a page or two to get you really into somebody's mind and to believe them and know what they look like and all that stuff. And yeah, he's so prolific. And I, he's so prolific. Although his fans are now, you know, angry at him if he watches a football game, I guess, because he's not like <laughs> writing another book. But, <laughs> but um, it just turns out that that's not the kind of writing that um, works best for me. And so what I realized was I don't have to know what I'm writing. I don't have to know where the story is going. I don't have to have plot immediately when I sit down to write it, but maybe I just have a line in my head or maybe I just have an image or maybe I just have yeah. something that happened that made me uncomfortable and I don't know how to think about it or something that I'm embarrassed about about myself that I'm kind of curious about. And then mm-hmm. weird details just pile up and somehow they start I to totally connect. I totally got that. I feel like the drama of the pieces kind of lives within the narrator's own mind and the drama of life, of their own inner heads and working and dealing with who they are as a person. And it doesn't necessarily mean, oh my God, somebody got murdered. Yeah. <laughs> like, And this person is in love with this person. This person is in love with this person. It's, it's a more s- subtle, but, but a drama, more subtle drama, but something that we can all relate to. And it's like, I felt like some sort of inner turmoil or question that's going on and I thought that it drove it and I didn't feel like I needed to have some sort of 
concrete plot. Or it didn't seem like that's what you were going for, so I wasn't looking for Looking that. for it, yeah. They are very, you know, digestible, bite-sized, you know, um, stories. You know, it, it's not, you know, it's a, it, it, it's a quick read and, and very satisfying one. And I think, you know, we've, we've now, like, I think there obviously will be people listening, the, the, the hundreds of people listening. Thousands. Um, thousands. <laughs> By the time we get to this one, millions yeah. of people. Um, that I think maybe now would be a good time for you to yeah, read a little passage sure. of it. Because to. some people won't have um, read your book. So um, the passage I was going to read is from the title story, which actually falls at the end of the book, called Large Animals. Um, and in this kind of biography that we were sketching at the start of our conversation, um, as I was leaving New York, I stopped in the Mojave Desert for about six months and mm. um, took care of friends' houses and basically mm-hmm. sat by myself for as long as I could. Um, it was almost like an off-gassing or something of, of bouncing off of other people, and I, I just put myself like in, in the desert. What an adventure. Um, I loved it, yeah. And yeah, then, for sure. Um, finally, my wife girlfriend was like are, are you ever planning on moving to Los Angeles or are you just going to stay in the desert for a really long time <laughs> oh were you kind of meant to be on your way here? I was on my way and she understood it too we were kind of like right. you know like let's you know take our time and get to hang out in a slower way but um but it was really romantic and she would come out often uh-huh. and and that was like a really special part of it too. But it was the writing got looser and a little weirder because I was really not talking to anybody for most of the days. I am not surprised about yeah. that, you know, because yeah. it really does seem like um, these a lot of these people. I mean, you don't get there, there's not a lot of like loving, close relationships. It's a people. That's what my editor said. Too. The people are very isolated. Um, yeah. Sometimes even like having to remember how to talk to people, it seems mm-hmm. like. Um, so yeah, it's it, it's interesting that it came <laughs> from a period of solitude like that. Um, oh, cool. Okay, cool. Yeah, okay. and I loved it. Um, but it was intense. Um, so this is the this is the very start of large animals, and I'll just jump in. In my sleep, I was plagued by large animals. Teams of grizzlies, timber wolves, gorillas, even, came in and out of the mist. Once the now extinct northern white rhino also stopped by. But none of them came as often or with such a ferocious sexual charge as what I, mangling Latin and English as usual, called the walry. Lying there, I faced them as you would the inevitable. They were massive, tube-shaped. Sometimes the feeling was only flesh, and I couldn't see the top of the cylinder that masqueraded as head or tusks or eyes. Nonetheless, I knew I was in their presence intuitively. There was no mistaking their skin. Their smell was unmistakable, too, as was their awful weight. During these nights, the days seemed to disappear before they even started. I was living two miles from a military testing site. In the early morning and throughout the day, the soft, dense sound of bombs filled the valley. It was comforting somehow. Otherwise, I was entirely alone. This seemed a precondition for the wall rye, that I should be theirs and theirs only. On the rare occasion that I had an overnight visitor to my desert bungalow, the wall rye were never around. Then the bears would return in force, or maybe even a large local animal like a mountain lion or goat. But no form's density came close to walrusness, so I became wary and stopped inviting anyone out to visit at all. There it is. There it is. There's. Um, and large, well, animals in general are a recurring theme, mm-hmm. and also just nature and plants and nauticalness, antibodies and spores. And, <laughs> are know. the walrus a metaphor for boobs? You know, I think, I, <laughs> I think you're not far off. I mean, and I think um, or when, is I, it not when I titled the, so when I titled the collection "Large Animals," I, I was kind of just thinking of of the play of of what are we as mm-hmm. humans, mm-hmm. you know? Or is it, what's the dif- what's the divide? And yeah, and again, like thinking about boundaries and categorization, and this is that, and this is that, and a big separation versus kind of trying to mess it all up and blur it a little bit. Yeah. Um, Someone asked me the other day, uh, 
was like lucky enough to do like a, a print um, interview and someone asked me, you know, like talking about the Walrai as these metaphysical things. Mm-hmm. And in some way they are, even though I didn't totally mean them that way. Because when I was thinking about it and trying to answer her, like when they came into the story, they were kind of like a necessary thing that was a way that this narrator who is very alone um, and not very comfortable in their physical embodiment is trying to like put on a sexuality almost. And the sexuality is mm-hmm. their kind of grotesque, tubular sexuality that's like an unmistakable body, like a body mm-hmm. that you can't say isn't there. Mm-hmm. Their body is there and it's heavy and it smells and it's rude and it wants things. <laughs> and um, it's to me, like as I was writing it, it started to appear that there was a kind of a desire for that kind of embodiment that the narrator was experiencing. And so I, I sort of started to think about the, the walrus like a strap on or something, like a uh-huh. big dick that you're putting on, or like, mm-hmm. sure, it could be like the boobs that were coming off, or you know, just extra corpulence. Right. That was giving the narrator right. some kind of way of staying in, a in the world. A sexual appendage. A sexual appendage, yeah. yeah. That one that was still floating around from the car. <laughs> <laughs> right, but I Where is that? misread No, I don't bit. think of it as misreading, though. I just think it's <laughs> Or like, I read it one floaty. way. Yeah. yeah. I thought um, it was interesting that the first kind of story in the book starts on the seaside in a storm, and then you kind of end the book in the desert. Was there like a deli- I'm sure there was. What was the deliberation in the order of the stories for the book? Um, or was there? No, I think it's or a really good question. No, uh, just like my friend who's like my oldest writing buddy is writing a collection right now, and she was we were talking on the phone yesterday, and she said like I don't know, I just have all these stories, but when are they going to feel like a collection? And mm-hmm. I was thinking about collecting this book and, like, that they never felt like a collection. They seemed so motley and weird together. And at the same time, I also felt like, oh, my God, did I just write the same story 12 times? You know? <laughs> there's um, definitely a through line. I, mean, I think that there's, a, you know, they're, there's, they're, they're of a piece. You know? Well, that's nice. I mean, it's, I was interested because you said you kind of were, like... Um, had a big chunk of time to read today and like we're kind yeah. of reading through it so it's like some people you know they're like I read one every two weeks and then it- had we not been doing and well yeah. had I been more organized I would have um, sparsed them out a little bit more I, w- I would have read them you know in more pieces which which I which is a great way I think to read a book of short stories like yeah. read like one or two before you go to bed and then right. do that for like a week that's a, that would have been a really nice way to read this, but I had this interview to do and hadn't read it <laughs> until, uh, I mean, we, you know, I was working very late last totally. night and I, I started it this morning. So That's um, cool. That's good no, that you're coming out from yeah. another perspective, actually. Though. No, I think that's really interesting. So but, I... But what, what I actually was... I'm sorry to no, interrupt you, but like the, the first one, is, it, is the first one set in Vegas where they go it's to the set casino? In, um, it's set in Atlantic City. Oh, that's okay. That's yeah, funny. yeah. The, casino. The casino. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that was a really smart one to put first because you establish this narrator who is contemplating, you know, gender and getting an operation and like how far to take this and yeah, um, mm-hmm. and and so that just puts those thoughts in your mind for all of the rest of the. That was my hope. The and it stories. was honestly it was the first story of all these that I wrote. So there is a little bit of like a chronology. Oh, Not okay. it doesn't all yeah. the stories don't fall that way, but right. um, it felt as a story a little bit more grounded in stuff that was recognizable or in like the narrator kind of saying out loud some of the stuff like should I have surgery? Right. That then later is still part of like every story I think mm-hmm. or some place on that path, but I think once to become yeah, more because more it sets it up so early at the beginning, I feel like that kind of got into my head as a reader. So the, it kind of created a framework for me to kind of take, because there's a lot of metaphor. Yeah, so totally. it allowed me to kind of place metaphors in a context based off of kind of... Yeah. Those first few stories are more realistic as well. And then in the middle of the book, it kind of gets into like, like you have the story set in San Francisco, 1860s, yeah. <laughs> which is like um, a totally different kind of thing. Um, I was wondering, like, is this, like, a, 
is how I, I was wondering, is this autobiographical and did you set it in a different time period to kind of distance it or is it just, I think you, I see now that you I said it was, oh, go ahead. Now that you said it was from a novel or the idea of that, well, I'm, I'm what, interested. Yeah. So, okay. A lot of interesting stuff you just said, but, um, so I wrote this novel um, it was hard. I changed the point of view a lot of times. I was having a really hard time writing with gender. There was like a she character. They weren't ready to be a he character. They were an I character. Right. Um, and I was really seeing like on the page how hard it is to write a body that's not like falling in one place or the other because of the way the pronouns work. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so anyway, like I struggled with that for a long time anyway and I learned a lot about writing through trying to do it but um, this story that's in the book called Shadow of an Ape um, is a story that I wrote after I'd put that novel away and thought that I wasn't going to like really deal with that time period anymore and then I kind of I tossed it off and then I sweated over it for a long time afterwards but the first draft came really fast and I was like whoa this is fun like now I'm not trying to pack all of this like heavy meaning into it I'm just writing from that period and from that moment right. with a character that's not like this struggling trans character but actually a guy who's kind of a dick um, mm-hmm. feels like his gender is like pretty solid in a certain way um, but he the thing that I think is autobiographical is that he has like a really like low amount of self-knowledge and is kind of like making a lot of claims and mm. running from himself on some level and refuses to like look at the things that are coming up um, and so that was like my way into that story even though it said in 1860 about a guy who's like looking for his gold mining claim and um, mm-hmm, kind right. of making a lot of accusations about the people around him and saying like I'm from a place that's better than this I'm from like the south of Chile I'm from Valparaiso I'm from a cooler place than San Francisco it's more fun there we have better bars there right right right, right. and you're like okay well why are you here then <laughs> <laughs> and he's kind of like uh, he's running away from something it sounds like people yeah, he familiar. never lets go of that he never lets go of it I mean until yeah. the very end yeah. yeah so it was a it was a story that um, my editor who is like a champion um, and I like went back and forth on a lot of times and there were times when it was like the story is not gonna be in the collection and I was like I just I'm not ready to take it out and I really fought for it to be there. So it's like, it's a little bit of an oddball in the middle, but... It is a, it is a, a total oddball, but I, I liked it. It was challenging for me to read. I was like, because you have to kind of put your head into a different world for a second. Yeah. Um, it, it, well, the whole, yeah, I mean, most of the stories are, they, I think they get progressively more challenging in a way. Just in the, there's a lot to decipher, yeah. you know, I mean, and... And because it's not sustained over a long number of pages, you know, you, you finish one and you've kind of got, okay, like, I get the yeah. world, I get the people, I get the relationships, and then, uh, you know, a few pages later, okay, now there's another one. So there's uh-huh. a lot of, like, having to start again and decipher again, like, okay, who who are these people? It's... It's it's very it, it's really interesting. I think I some like of that, that comes from the editing process too. I hate writing new work. Like I hate. Mm-hmm. You're a musician too. Like you compose yeah. stuff. Like uh-huh. and you like make up pieces that you do. Like yeah, it's way easier to be like, oh, I'll just use the same chords again. I don't know if you do, <laughs> but I assume you have some kind of creative practice like that. I do write. Yeah. yeah. So I hate that part. I think it's like really scary. It makes me really uncomfortable. I'm constantly up against myself. I think, God, you're really going to mess this up this time. It's like mm-hmm. my least happy place to be. And then when I get to the point where I get to start editing, then I'm like, okay, like now we can hopefully make this a little better. Like at least like there's a chance to like save it a little bit. Totally. I wanted to ask you about your That's process funny. too. Cause like, I mean, we asked you right at the outset about yeah. your writing practice and you're, you know, you're a new parent at the moment. So you're not like writing every day right now, but, um, was it something that you're like, okay, like I just, you know, I'm a writer. I have to get out five pages a day or 10 pages a day or whatever. Do, do you have that practice? Like when you were living solitary? I don't desert? think I can ever say that I really had that practice. When I was in the desert, I did every single day work on the manuscript or work on creating new work. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of there's some stuff that I wrote out there that, that doesn't, isn't in this book. Right. Um, I think that that's actually, like, a really important way to work. And I think that, like, the idea that sort of you just wait for inspiration to hit um, is can be a little bit, I don't really want to say lazy, but I think that through applying yourself every day to something, and some days are better than others, interesting stuff starts to come out. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, and that's what writers, absolutely. a lot of writers say. Yeah. It's just like you just you have to just sit down and write, and you have to sit with that thing and just squirm with it. Um, but no, I I never really did that exactly. Um, often these stories would kind of. I'd be immersed in one or the other for a while and then take a break, you know, or it just, it happened more around life events, like when you had time, um, yeah, you know, right. sometimes you're going through a bad breakup and you're like, I'm not working on this. And then you're going through a bad breakup and you're like, this is what I'm going to do is like work now. Right. <laughs> and when, so when you do, you know, um, happen upon an inspiration, um, do you find that like most of these stories, like you kind of get it out pretty quickly and then it's a long editing process or are you laboring <clears throat> over it's I've yeah are you to, like a, is this word right is this word oh right? yeah that's I mean I, what I do is like super it's not weird it's like really boring but um, I'll spend like you know the Oscar Wilde thing of like spend the morning taking out a comma and spend the afternoon putting it back in I mean, I'll, I will, like, yeah. take a paragraph or take a sentence even, and I'll um, change it, and then I'll email it to myself, and I'll open the attachment, and I'll be like, hmm. And then I'll know immediately if it's better or worse. Oh, wow. And then That's such a funny I'll decide thing. to change another word in that sentence, and I'll have to, like, email it to myself again and then open it. So there's, like, a little bit of remove. I guess I don't have a printer, but otherwise, like, I could also print it out. But there's well, that'd be a waste of, of paper. I'm yeah, I'm, a, I'm, in, I'm really... <laughs> Four trees and against plastic. What made but, you um, think of that? You were just like, I need to, I need to pretend that somebody. Sent I, think, this I think it. I'm, it's like came in an organic way where somebody there was like a deadline, and I was like, God, oh, I better see what I sent to that person. And, and then I realized, it. like, yeah. oh shoot, that didn't sound at all like what it seemed like in my word document. Like the cadence is really off, or the right. this is off, or. Um, That's a smart device. Yeah, yeah so sometimes you go back and read text messages and it's like, ooh, that didn't sound like I thought it was going <laughs> the to. The thing that's <laughs> bad, though, is that, you know, you're sitting in, like, I have, like, a little sort of shack off the back of the house that I get to work in sometimes, and mm-hmm. sitting there and, like, you're really bored and you wish someone was, anybody would distract you and you wish you'd get an email from somebody and, of course, you never respond to emails, so you're not getting emails from people. And then you get an email, and you're like, oh, an email came, and then you realize it's just yourself emailing yourself. <laughs> you're like, I wonder who emails me. That's funny. Um, but just to really quickly go back um, to the question about, like, how does a story build? Um, I think I've had to, like, really trust this, like, deeply intuitive process that could be really slow, and um, it's, like, a cumulative of... I heard this weird thing on the subway. It was a line that stuck with me, and I'm going to put it as the title or something like that, or I'm going to build the first paragraph out of it mm. and then sit with that for a minute. And then and something kind of else grow. comes in, and I'm like, I have no idea why all of a sudden I'm talking about this. Yeah. But I'm instead of it's the only thing I have, so I'm going to keep it. And then a couple of days later, some other little bit comes in. And so some of these stories that are very short were actually built over like six months of time or something. Right. Just starting it not knowing where I was going to go, waiting for something else to slide in. And then by the end, realizing, oh, it was really important that that random detail that I put in there that I thought was like a real loose cannon moment yeah. is there. It's like trusting now, that this like will develop into something. Yes. the one. But then, you know, hot, hot named after listen, Martha I wrote Stewart. that before Martha Stewart and Soup had that show. I just want to say on the public record once. <laughs> That, I like that one a lot. I think that was very fun. It, it's nice that there's some like whimsy in it, and yeah. and one of my favorite moments in it, which I don't know if this happened, you know, to you, but um, uh, you know, is a character clearly named Jess. You know, is mistaken for oh, Jeff yeah. by Lily Tomlin. Oh, it still happened. Yes, it did happen. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> which I just thought it was just very funny. You know? Yeah, she's great. Yeah. It happens all the time. I mean, I'm constantly having the Jeff conversation with people. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jess does, you know. Yeah. I mean, it, it can people can easily mishear it. But, you know, so, like, the other month, um, my partner and I and our baby went to Oaxaca for two weeks with my brother, actually. And as we were coming back, and we had just done a lot of work to get our baby this passport, and I had my passport, and we're coming back through um, customs in Houston, and our baby's like 10 months old this time, and I'm almost 40 years old this mm-hmm. time. And my passport says Jessica on it, and our baby says Osa, because that's his name. And the passport agents who are passing back the passports passed Osa, mine back to Osa and said, hello, Jessica, to the baby. <laughs> mm. Because it was like so confusing mm. for them how to kind of Place put Jessica on to me that it was easier for them to say like a 40-year-old is in the stroller. 
That is so crazy. <laughs> really not paying much attention. Yeah, it's like how you say, like, is S just um, an inherently more, more feminine, feminine than, than F? F. Yeah. Right, right. Dude, I didn't even talk to you since you got back from the Arctic. Did oh, yeah. you go to the freaking Arctic? I did. Arctic? I went to the Arctic, yeah. How was that? Or um, do you want to talk? I lo- I'm obsessed with the Arctic now. Yeah. That's all it's, I want to talk about. Where do you go? <clears throat> there's, a, um, there's an artist residency that's not just open to writers, but a lot of photographers, filmmakers, and um, musicians and stuff. And it's in the north. It's like in the North Arctic Circle in the high Arctic, um, north of uh, Is it Norway. It's north of Norway. Uh, it's oh, an archipelago wow. called Svalbard. What country yes, is Yes, yes, yes. It's a territory. It's a sort of territory of Norway. Okay. But it's not it's exactly Norway. It's kind of like materials. Oh, my book. God. Yes. A, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. That must be a real trek to get to. It was. It's actually, like, closer than you would think in a weird way. You could take a four-hour plane from Oslo, and you're deep into the Arctic Circle. Um, there's what, 2,000... What, they have a runway on the ice or something? They have a runway in the permafrost. There's a town that they call a settlement. It's the um, only 365-day-a-year um, place where people live that far north. Wow. There are 2,000 people there. There are way more bears on the archipelago than people. And if you want to leave the settlement, you have to be with somebody with a rifle who's trained to, like, shoot polar bears. Oh, and my God. it's not that the that settlement is, is safer than the outside of the settlement for polar bears. It's just that there are buildings and you can run for cover. So people have, like, they leave their cars unlocked and their houses unlocked 24 hours a day. So if anyone's running from a bear, they can they run can into run any in. building. Did yeah. you have to run from a bear? No. Did but did you see, see one? We saw oh, one bear. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. So I, I want to... I, I hate that. I mean... I hope they don't have to shoot, No, in, but they're Norwegian, so they're, like, really, really preservationist, conservationist around wildlife. And if you shoot a bear, you have to basically meet with the governor and explain oh. why there was no other possible thing that you could do. Wow. Um, rather than shoot that bear, and it's, like, a real, like, shame. So you were visiting that. large animals. Yeah, so I was visiting <laughs> large... So, and it, I was visiting walruses. I saw a lot of walruses up there. Oh, yeah, which I'm sure you didn't see in the desert. I didn't. Just in your imagination. (laughs) Just just in my imagination, looking for appendage. Um, Did you take a boat there? Yeah, so from that little settlement. um, The other cool, interesting thing about that settlement is you're not allowed to um, be born in the Svalbard territory. And you're not allowed to die in the Svalbard territory. So what do they do? Fly somebody out that's on life support? Yeah. What and, if they and, just die? And very pregnant people can't be and there. And very pregnant people can't be there. Wow. Yeah, because they're too far away from, like, an emergency facility that can really handle, like, birth and its complications. And also because there's a permafrost and burying people doesn't work. So you try to bury a body and it just gets pushed up out of the earth. So... Oh, yeah. You know, there are whalers wow, there from the 1600s no whose bodies just get churned up. Oh, weird. Yeah. So I was on a boat and we, we sailed north and tried to, you know... Wow, that's really How's cool. it look? Is global warming? It, it rained the whole time in October. On, quite honestly, it was the warmest October they'd ever had. Um, so I went there for look, really desperate for snow. And Dang. You can't even go to the North Pole anymore. No, <laughs> we've destroyed the world. Yeah, um, basically. Tell us a little bit about Herring Press. New Herring Press, yeah. New, sorry, New Herring no, Press. No, um, it was a great idea when the four of us lived in Brooklyn within like a subway ride to each other, and now the four of us live in different states, and three of us have kids under, like, two years old. Totally. So New Herring Skype? Press spends a lot of time trying to figure out when we can Skype okay. with each other's schedules. But have, you re- have you really published anything? We published a bunch of like um, chat books, and the idea that we started was, in New York, all of us were pretty involved with the poetry world. That's pretty much rotates around St. Mark's Poetry Project, which mm-hmm. is in St. Mark's Church in the East Village, mm-hmm. and has been like an awesome like bastion of like sort of radical poetics since the 60s. Cool. And so we were like really drawn into that scene, and jealous of poets who were like publishing a lot of their work with each other on small presses and realizing Mm -hmm. that like to get a fiction work out there takes like kind of breaking through this weird space with more commercial presses and so we were we were like well why can't we do that like we write prose but can we just make a small small handmade books and put them out in the world right and so we started off doing that um and we've put out, um, so we were doing like a series of like four stories or excerpts or whatever, Skype lectures or whatever they were. They were different like um, shaped things and four at a time. 
And then um, the kind of bigger book we put out was called Weird Fucks. And it's um, <laughs> a, a novella um, by uh, our mentor of ours, Lynn Tillman, who's like a, an amazing fiction writer. Um, and she wrote it um, quite some time ago, but gave us the um, option to put it out as she had always imagined it, which was as a novella. And we got to jam it with art from Amy Silman, who is also the person who drew this uh, cover. Very cool. Oh, yeah. Awesome. yeah. I love so, the cover. So when I um, tried to convince Catapult, who was amazing, that this should be the cover, um, their worry was that it was too abstract and kind of, like, heavy. What? Well, it's very in keeping with their writing. And Right, so I thought, <laughs> well, you know, I, that's kind of the book you bought. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I could put flowers it on it. It is abstract yeah. in the way that your writing is very abstract. Um, well, that's very cool. So what's next? What's what's next on the writing Yeah, anything else in development? I'm actually um, trying to work on a project that came out of the Ar- that Arctic time, so... Ooh, um, cool. Yeah. But, but maybe about also, a whale that gets pushed through the permafrost? Well, you know, now I'm, like, stuck watching these, like, because, like, I don't have the energy to really write. I'm stuck watching these Scandinavian noir shows, like Fortitude, where it's all about, like, mammoths coming out of the permafrost with... Uh, I think I stumbled uh, upon one of those Yeah, like, yeah. plague coming mm. back out. Oh, stuff oh like damn. That. Yeah. Plague. <laughs> so, I don't want to get the plague. The plague still. The plague is just buried down underneath. Oh, it's you have. Oh, to watch that's it. one of the fears of global warming is that the plague is going to come back. The plague is going to come like, back. Yeah. Whatever. No, I think. <laughs> <we>, yeah. <laughs> I'll leave that to that show. But I do. I did get really. I got like the Arctic fever bad, and so it'll, it'll be something around. Arctic that. fever. How that's long an were you there? I was there for um, almost a month, but I was there at an intense time in my life in that um, my wife was like four months pregnant, so I felt very far away from this really intense thing that was happening mm-hmm. really across the earth in an, a very different environment. Um, and you know, there's no cell phone service, there's no... Oh, wow. So I was just kind of floating. Um, but that sounds like an amazing adventure to have. Like, I, I would love to do that. Well, for someone who's, like, written about, like, what it's like to be on a um, gold rush ship in the 1860s and spent, like, many years kind of, like, really thinking about, like, that time period, I yeah. was, like, my mind was going crazy. Like, if you see pictures of me, they're not, like, flattering at all, but my eyes are just, like, really round and big and, like, <laughs> I look like something's like unsprung. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it obviously was... Um, starting wheels turning for you so um, yeah creatively charging um, yeah that's great because the thing is like the idea was that you would make work while you were there but the boat was going up and down with these big swells and we were sort of jammed together like 40 of us on a small kind did of, you get seasick um no did we were just like cramming like fresh ginger in and then Ooh. you just run outside and you just stare at the horizon even if you can't see anything because it's too misty or something you just look um that's away the from the boat yeah so I, I couldn't like really those, like um, have my laptop typing. Patches. Yeah. But I guess maybe I don't know. Yeah. What are those called? The, the um, bro, 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 Dramamine. Dramamine. Yeah. Dramamine. Patch. No, but you're right. There, that's a like a brand, I think. Yeah. Something. I'd go salmon fishing on the ocean. Oh with my yeah, dad. with your dad. Yeah. yeah. Off Westport. Wow. Yeah. That's like big ocean. It is, and yeah. we would go in some really small fishing boats that wow. my dad's friends had, and there was a few times when it was like. Chop, chop, chop. You're supposed to eat, you know, when you start to get really sick. Oh, really? I didn't... I think I only maybe got sick once, and I I went inside to the cabin, and I I laid down, and I fell asleep. It wasn't too bad, but... It, I was more scared, I think, because I was kind of younger in my, like, early teens, and the ocean's so big, and... Yeah, and it doesn't get off the land, and you can't see anything, and it's just waves, and it smells salty. It's like... (laughs) <laughs> where am I? And I'm around all these big masculine men, and I'm like <laughs> little gay boy. I'd love to see that fishing. photo. <laughs> oh yeah, I have some. Fi- I still go fishing with but my dad. But come on, dad. you can put your butch side on. It's oh no, 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 yeah. My dad took me and my ex boyfriend bear hunting and fishing when we Whoa. were home and stuff. See, yeah. so you have some bear. No, stories. I've got, I've got a little uh, woodsman in me. Yeah, I yeah. know you do. <laughs> <laughs> I like that about you. Yeah. Um, well, thanks so much for being on the podcast. You guys, thank you. And um, I feel like you guys are great readers. Like, oh, well, I really thanks. feel honored yes. by the and interested and inspired by the stuff that you guys pulled out of this. So Yeah, well, it, it took me back. I was an English major and, and history major, but it you know, took me back. I, you know, I, I don't 
I, I'm grateful for just like the excuse to have read a book. You know, like <laughs> I don't read enough. I was like, know? how did this work again? Chapters? I, I, but, no, yeah. I constantly like I've got my iPad like uh, with me at all times, and I'm you know reading the New York Times or whatever. But but also watching like YouTube videos yep. and yeah, it was a nice little break. Web Doing series and whatever. But yep. I like I don't read nearly enough, and it was it was an enriching experience to read your book. Well, you just have to have more writers on, and then you'll just be we will yeah. all the time. Yes. Yeah, you've inspired us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, I really I, I I like talking about a book. It it, it takes me back. So, so thank you so much. Yeah, the yeah. book is called Large Animals. One more time, Jess Arndt it's is put out writer. by Catapult, and you can find it anywhere you buy books. Do you want to do any shout outs, Jess? No. Perfect. <laughs> um, thank you guys so much for joining us. Please like, subscribe, share if you like our podcast. Tell your friends. Follow us. Yes. So few of you are f- like following us. Just just hit follow. Yep. Thank you so much. <laughs> we love you. Bye. Bye. <laughs>